Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with, it, uh, to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we have brought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could, not, they could find nothing to say. So I continued, What you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of God, of our God, to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending uh, people money and grain. But, but let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olives, olive groves, and houses, and also the interest you were charging them, 1% of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. We will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. Then I summoned the priest and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I shook out the folds of my robe and said, In this way may God shake out their house and possessions, and possessions anyone who does not keep this promise. So may such a person be shaken out and emptied. At this the whole assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord God. And the people did as they had promised. Amen. Thanks so much, Josh, for reading for us. Well, good evening again, and uh, thank you for the opportunity to bring God's Word to you. Um, we are continuing our series in Nehemiah, and obviously looking at chapter... Five, and uh, we're looking at the entire chapter, even though Josh has only read 19. Uh, we will be covering everything this evening. So, um I really do hope that as we've gone through this series, you've actually gained some insight into what this Old Testament book is about, and there's some things that you have been able to apply to your lives, and you are being changed and transformed as a result of that. Um, please, you know, uh, if, if that's not happening, come and talk to us. We want to encourage you in God's Word. We want you to see that uh, there's a very big plan and purpose in the book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, for me, is one of those books which, in my opinion, um, calls for us to be doing some self-examination to think about where we are in our relationship with God, to think about what we need to be doing in order to move closer to Him. And uh, it also calls for repentance. It calls for change. And more than anything, it calls for us as a people to build community and to be united with each other. And I think that's where we should be moving. That's what we should be doing, especially as a church here at SDBC in 2020. Let's just pause and pray. Father God, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you, Lord, that it is a powerful word. And I thank you, Lord, that your word calls us to change. We're called to a new life in you. And Lord, more than anything, we want to embrace that. And Lord, we're going to mess that up. But Father, we thank you for your grace, your glory, your forgiveness. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come back to you again and again. And now as we hear this word from Nehemiah, Lord, I just pray that you'll open our hearts and our minds to hear what you have to say. We pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. 
When we think about what happened in Nehemiah chapter 4, there was this clear outside opposition to the work that was being carried on by Nehemiah and the other people of Israel. Sanballat began this and he was quickly joined by several others and their intent and purpose was to create this disturbance. They wanted to hinder the work that was going on. They wanted to actually stop it. They wanted to discourage the Jews and they were ridiculing the work. You know, remember that phrase, you know, if a fox crawled up there, they'd knock those stones down. Those types of things. And so they were making fun of the work. They wanted to break the spirits of the people. And they circulated rumours saying that they were going to invade when they least expected it. And there was going to be great bloodshed and loss as a result of that. And Nehemiah, in the midst of that, responded in prayer. He went to the Lord first and only after praying he did what he considered he should do and he set guards. He assessed where they were most vulnerable, where they needed the most protection and he placed particular protection at those points. And while he was doing this, while he was walking around, he was continually reaffirming the people. He was continually encouraging them to stand and to pursue what God had told them to do. He's calling them to remember the Lord, how great, how mighty, how powerful, how all-providing God had been for them and will continue to be. And then he calls them to stand firm. He says, stand firm, fight. Fight for what you believe in. Fight for what you value. Fight for what you love. And so this crisis is averted. And the external enemy is put off for a time. And then as we move into chapter 5, it's no longer those outside the walls that are causing the problem. Hello, Houston. It's the threat within. And so we've moved from this argument and everything that was occurring outside And this is what he's faced with now. And I think it's important to think about what's happening for Nehemiah. And I don't know about you. I know most of you aren't as dumb as me. But, you know, I've got this habit when I read about the characters in the Bible and I read their stories, I I seem to just think that they're superhuman. I seem to think that they've got this incredible blessing on their life where they know God intimately and they don't know the struggles that we struggle with. They don't live like we live. And and yet when I read this, it's, it's not actually like that, is it? And I think about Nehemiah, you know, like, has this guy got this real peachy life or what? And the answer is no. Just think of the account that we have had so far in Nehemiah. In chapter 1, he's had to deal with the news of the ongoing poor condition of Jerusalem, which he thought was being rebuilt and was pushing ahead and everything like that. And then he had to struggle with the size of this immense task that God then laid on his heart for him to do as he prayed. In chapter 2, Nehemiah has to work out how he can bring this problem to the king. And this is a king who has prevented the work from going ahead before. It was him who called it to be stopped. And now he's got to go into his presence. He knows he's got to speak to the king. And Nehemiah could very easily be imprisoned or put to death by this king. In chapter 3... Nehemiah gains this understanding of this incredible task before him. He sees the walls, he sees what's got to happen, and he just uh, suddenly realises the incredible effort that it's going to take, the amount of material that is going to be required in order to rebuild these walls. And then Nehemiah 4, he's fighting the enemy outside and that threat of imminent invasion. 
And so he hasn't had this rosé walk. It hasn't all fallen in his lap. There's things that he struggled with, no doubt, with God. But with everything that has happened, with the immense task that is before him, he has been constantly encouraging. He has been constantly building people up. He has been constantly uniting these people who, before he arrived, they were broken. They were lacking direction. They were unsure of what God was doing with them as a people. They didn't know how they were going to move on. And this was no small thing. And then we come to this account in chapter 5. And after Nehemiah has dealt with all that he's dealt with, suddenly he hears a great outcry. And I can't help but be impressed with Nehemiah. His commitment to the call that God has given him, his knowledge of and his trust in the word of God and all that it says, and his constant returning to God in all situations for wisdom in the decisions that he needs to make. And in the midst of everything that he's doing, this situation which was hidden until now is suddenly revealed. The work on the wall had been progressing well and suddenly it stops. This underlying current of negativity uh, had been growing and it's just reached a point where these people who were committed to the work are suffering greatly. And so the work dies off. And now they're crying out to Nehemiah because they feel under the pump. And the thing is, the situation that they're facing, the complaints that they're making are all valid. No one can question them. There's a population problem. And uh, this, there's been a large number of people who've come into Jerusalem for the work, and some of them have large families. And, of course, they're not getting enough grain to actually feed them. Uh, in the midst of this, there's also this famine that was written about. And see, the current or recent, and uh, no doubt that that's been made worse by the influx of people that have come into Jerusalem. Then there's these taxes that are being placed upon the people as well. And these have to be paid to the king, whether they like it or not. This is something that is going on and continuous. They don't check if these people of an income they must pay the taxes every year and then there's these high and inappropriate interest rates that are being put upon these people and they're a breaking point and on top of all of this Nehemiah is possibly still pushing to get the walls built because that's what he wants to happen. And each of these problems contributes to the other. And in their frustration and anger, these people may even have held Nehemiah responsible and accountable for some of what's happened. They're not planting their fields because they're working on the walls. The work on the wall has brought more people in that have added to the population and created a bigger problem. The lack of crops being planted and the extra people have added to the shortage of food, which was already grim because of the famine. And even though the people were not able to plant the crops and therefore have a harvest giving them some income, they still have to pay the taxes. And this was an ongoing commitment. And so they had to borrow money in order to pay those taxes. They borrowed this money from their countrymen. And the interest rates and the fees on these borrowings were incredible. They were very high. And as a result, they had to hand over their lands. They had to hand over their properties, their houses. And when that wasn't enough, when the interest rates kept going and they still couldn't meet their ends, they ultimately had to hand over their children in an effort to stay afloat. Seriously, think about that situation. 
is this really a work of God? Is he really in the midst of what is going on? Could you imagine what it was like for those people where this, this king's official comes and it looks like everything's going to be fantastic. He's got all these materials and things like that. The wall is starting to be rebuilt and then suddenly they find themselves in a much worse situation than what they were before this dude came along. Would you be questioning whether God was in the midst of that? Would you be asking what he was doing? How would you feel? These people faithfully committed to Nehemiah and this work of God. And seriously, isn't it normal for us to think that if it's a work of God, then he will provide? And if that's the case, if God's willing to provide, if he's willing to you know, look after his faithful servants, where's the food? Why are we suddenly in more debt than we've ever been before? Why aren't we being protected by those enemies? What is God doing? Do you think God heard them? Do you think God knew what was going on? Good. I'm seeing a few head nods. That's a blessing because I think God is working. I think God is moving and I think he's in the midst of this situation. I think that he is outworking so many incredible things in this very story. But the crazy thing is God never turns up or rarely turns up in the way we expect. I've prayed for things in so many ways. Guys, I prayed this really stupid prayer when I was young. It was really, really stupid. I know that in hindsight. I prayed that I would know the sufferings of Christ. Great prayer. Big prayer. And so I was expecting pain. I was expecting, you know, physical disabilities. I was expecting that stuff. You know what happened? All my friends left me. I got kicked out of the church. I had nowhere or no one I could depend on or rely on. And I'm in the midst of this and I'm going, God, what are you doing? This is mad. And God said, I thought you said you wanted to know my suffering. It's rarely that he turns up the way we want him to. But he always answers our prayers. And the way he does it is always better for us. It's always strengthening. It's always encouraging. It's always preparing us for the season that is to come. And so the burden that is on these people is, has been placed upon them by their brothers and sisters. Can you believe that? And so this evil has sprung up from amongst them. And it's something that needs to be whittled out. You can't have people united if there's men and women who are in this different class and making the most of any opportunity they get to benefit from the distress and the problems of their brothers and sisters. This other class, they had money and they saw this opportunity to make more. They wanted to advance their own interests. It was all about me and what I could do. It was about storing up money so that I could have a greater retirement. And so they had no regard for those who were lesser than them. Lesser, in inverted commas, because no one's lesser. We're all as important as each other in God's kingdom. We're all as important as each other in this place at this time. But they looked down upon them and they saw an opportunity where they could benefit from them. And so they were interested only in their own personal gain. They were no longer interested in the work. They were being selfish. They were not thinking of anyone else. They weren't thinking about the burden that they placed upon these people. They didn't do what they did to help those who were struggling. They did it to help themselves. It was all about their status, their wealth, their position. 
And any time a person puts themselves ahead of God's work and purposes, his work's also going to suffer. And we're seeing that in this story. The work stopped because of the heartache that these people were under. Could you imagine what it'd be like to lose your children because you had to sell them just to stay alive? Don't hear me wrong, though. God's work will not be stopped. If these people continued to disobey him, he'd use someone else to do the work. And it's the same for SDBC. If we don't submit to God, if we aren't obedient to him, he will continue to build his church in this place in Runcorn, but he'll just use other people to do it. That's the way our God is. And in this situation, with Nehemiah and these selfish creditors, something has to give. The work has stopped. It's not likely to continue. And if it does, it's going to be greatly hampered. And I really love Nehemiah. He just shows such incredible wisdom in what he does next. He pauses and reflects. Now, I know some of you young adults have been in enough of my studies to know what I'm saying when I say, what is Nehemiah's gut reaction in this situation? I think first up, you know, it's right here on the screen. He was angry. And, you know, instead of operating from that position of anger, he takes this step back. It's so easy to operate from a position of angry. But what was he angry about? You know, when we read the following verses, uh, it, it seems that he could be angry uh, about the conduct of the unjust creditors. Um, and that would be the path that I go down because I love Nehemiah and I want to hold him up as being righteous, honorable, faithful and superhuman because uh, I think he's absolutely awesome. But the truth is we don't know exactly what he's angry about. It could be a number of different things. But this is his gut reaction. He could be angry uh, partly because of the work being stopped he could be angry because uh, this is just another problem and he's sick and tired of all the problems he's already faced he just wants God to stop all these problems from coming up Uh, maybe he's angry at God because surely if God wants this work to continue he'll fix this and uh, everything should be fine and God should make things easier and maybe maybe he's angry with the creditors have you ever been angry like that like just this irrational anger you know and um, my wife will tell you I've never been angry like that in the last hour because I've been in church But anger just blinds you sometimes and you don't think rationally. And Nehemiah must know a bit of this because he gets angry and there's nothing wrong with getting angry. It's what you do with it that really counts. And instead of operating from that position of anger, instead of responding from that position of anger, he takes a step back. So in all honesty, it doesn't matter why he's angry because Nehemiah goes and has counsel with himself. That's a bit weird, isn't it? So he went and had a little chat with himself in the corner, sorted himself out, and then came out all sorted. Because of who we know Nehemiah to be, because we know his heart for God, when it says, I took counsel with myself, he went and silently examined the situation. He would have silently prayed to God. He would have asked for God's wisdom because that's what we know Nehemiah was like. He would have sought God's purpose in the midst of everything that was happening. And when he heard God respond, when he was calmer, when he was able to speak rationally, then he responded. There were great injustices happening and he had every right to be angry. 
but he didn't act from that emotional state. When he was in control, he came back and he spoke to these guys. He thought things through and he would have reflected on everything he knew about scripture. And as I say, he would have silently praying as was his habit and he would have considered all things. And then he responded. He only responds after this time of personal reflection. And I believe he sought God's direction. And Nehemiah knows God's word and he uses it to show these creditors what they're doing wrong. Nehemiah, Nehemiah brings the charges against the people. They have forgotten what God has said about taking interest from their own brethren. And it's here in Exodus 22:25. If you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, you shall not be like a moneylender to him. You shall not exact any interest from him. And Nehemiah himself says that he's been lending money to these people. He's been giving some people money. He's been redeeming people from slavery. And he expects nothing back. He has just been doing that for them. And that is what he expects these people to do as well. But they've chosen to do otherwise. And it's a very, very slippery slope. An opportunity presents itself. And by the laws of the land, what they did was not wrong. It was quite acceptable. But God has told them otherwise. And it's so easy to fall into that trap where it's like, okay, it's all right. The rest of the world is doing this. Everybody's doing it. And there's nothing wrong with actually doing it, except it's been disobedience to God. And once you're on that slope, it's very hard to dig your way back out again. So can I encourage you? Everyone, every age, every generation, surround yourself with Christian people who will hold you accountable for your actions. Surround yourself with Christian people you can confide in, the things that you're doing, so they can give you godly wisdom. They can encourage you in the word of God. Get into a connect group. There is no better way to know God's word and to grow in faith. And when you do that, you've got less chance of making mistakes like this. And this was a big mistake. They're living in disobedience to God. And they've become self-serving rather than other serving. You know, that's the major difference between us and God. Hey, when I think about what I want to do in life, it's all about me and what I want to do. Whereas when it was God and Jesus, they were thinking about you. That is why Jesus died. He was thinking about you. He wanted to redeem you. He wanted to put you back into right relationship with God. And I'm not like that. it's amazing the conversations we have as pastors with people who are disobedient to God and yet think it's okay and I'm not talking about troublemakers I'm talking about people who are sitting in the pews living lives that are not God honoring living lives that are in total contrast to what God tells them to do and when you tell them and you show them from scripture they're wrong they justify their position it can't be like that if this wasn't sorted out with Nehemiah if he didn't deal with these people and resolve this problem the damage these people were doing to the wider community would have ultimately stopped the work and the walls may not have been completed and so it has to be nipped in the bud it has to be dealt with and so Nehemiah calls this meeting for these men and women to face 
those that they were hurting. And it's interesting, so often when you meet one-on-one with someone and you challenge them about something which involves the wider community, uh, they'll say the words that you want to hear, they'll agree that they need to change and that they should repent and those types of things. But then when they step away from that, suddenly it's all changed. They're back to the way they were because they're influenced by those around them. They don't stick to their commitment. And more often than not, they distort what has been said so that they actually come out looking better. They're self-serving people. I love it when I have meetings with people and you show them from scripture that what they're doing is wrong and they end up broken and they humble themselves before God and they pray and they ask for forgiveness. I love those meetings and I love those people. It's also the case often when you meet with these people and you challenge them, their pride, their ego and their money being on the line is too much for them to deal with. And they value that above valuing God. But the crazy thing is, when you gather these people, when you stand these people opposite those that they are causing the problems for, when those people are allowed to speak back, and tell them the harm that these guys are doing or when they can see the harm that is occurring. It changes everything. It makes them that much harder to stand on the immoral ground. And if Nehemiah hadn't dealt with this, as I said, the work would have been greatly hindered. And he rightfully accuses these people of their ungodly behaviour and he calls them to fix it. And Nehemiah basically says to these men, stop it. Stop what you were doing. Stop being disobedient to God. And then Nehemiah calls them to make amends. Return these people all their fields, all their vineyards, all their orchards, orchards, sorry, all their houses and all the interest you've been charging them. Return it all, every last bit of it, and do it today. Not tomorrow, not next week, not next month. Do it today. Here and now. And under the leadership of Nehemiah and with all present, these guys agree to return all that they've taken from the people against God. And Nehemiah then takes this one step further. He calls the priests as witnesses to take the oath from these men. And keep in mind the priests intercede between them and God. And he's saying, if you're making this word, you're making this word with God. It is something you must obey. It is something you must not go back on. And giving God your word is something that you should take very, very seriously. If you've given your life to Jesus, if you've said you're going to live for him, you need to do that. And guys, you're not going to get it perfect. You're not going to be without sin. It'd be awesome if we were. But the thing is, you've got to continually return to God and ask for his forgiveness. You've got to hate the things that break your relationship with God. And you've got to have a desire to draw closer to him each and every day, committed to reading his word, praying, and building each other up in the faith. And so Nehemiah makes these guys make an oath that they will make this full compensation to all the people and that they won't do this again. And the priests are those mediators and they take this word and they hold these men accountable. I'm sure that's what happens. 
And in contrast to the greed and self-serving attitude of these men, we're given an insight into what Nehemiah is really like, what his character's like. And when we talk about someone's character, we're talking about how someone thinks, feels, or behaves. And true character is often revealed under pressure. When the pressure comes, that's what we see a person's really like. And Nehemiah's actions um, reveal the type of man that he is. And he's governor. And he, as governor, he could have demanded uh, all sorts of things. But um, he spent 12 years there. And in that entire 12 years, he paid his own way. He didn't place himself as a burden upon the people at all. And more than that, he allowed 150 Jews to sit at his table as well as others that were traveling and came into his place. And again, that was at his own cost and expense. He knew the burden was too great for the people, so he chose to contribute from his own resources. And the way this chapter ends is a little unusual. And it almost sounds like Nehemiah is praising his own sacrifices and work, but that's not the case at all. Nehemiah has been faithfully serving God these 12 years, and he's had lots of opposition. It has been a great cost to himself, physically, mentally, in his career, financially. And I don't believe he's saying this to be acknowledged by man. I think Nehemiah is a man that values what God thinks. I believe Nehemiah is a man who's looking towards his reward when he stands with God in glory. And he's saying, Lord, remember me for my God. For all that I've done for your people in obedience to you and your call for me upon my life to do this work. So what's that mean for us? I want to ask you, take some time to think about the situation you're in right now so many of us have made that commitment to Christ so many of us have stepped out in faith and said Lord you are my Lord and Savior I'm going to serve you the rest of my life and that's as far as it's gone God wants so much more for you he wants to take you on so much further he's got bigger plans for you and so I want you to think about what God is calling you to. Pastor Darrell this morning spoke about a justification, sanctification and glorification. And he said it in a different way. He said, I was saved. That's when you make that first commitment to the Lord. That's when you first acknowledge him as your Lord and Savior. And I am being saved. That's your sanctification. That's your daily setting aside yourselves for God's glory and his purposes and his work. It's about putting to death your old self again and again and again and saying, it's not about me anymore. It's not about what I want, Lord. It's not about me. It's about you. And I want to serve you regardless of what everyone else does. It's me and you, Lord. I want to serve you. I want to honor you. I want to glorify you. And then we have that final step when we cross the last frontier in death. And we stand in his presence. <clears throat> and we will be glorified with him. How incredible is that day going to be? And I'm looking forward to it. Maybe I'm just at an age where that seems so much better than my deteriorating body. But I'm looking forward to it. I want you to think about the situation you're in. There's things that weigh against us. There's things that weigh us down. And I know there's a number of you that are suffering from depression. I know there's a number of you that have got struggles in your life with sexuality and things like that. I know there's a number of you that are struggling with pornography. And maybe I shouldn't be saying that in a church, but that's the facts that we're facing. There's some of you that are struggling with health. There's some of you that are struggling with finances. And this is pressing in upon you. And let's face it, how many of you have just realized what a big chunk you've taken off when you've joined uni? 
You're just at that stage now where the assignments are starting to bank up and you realise what's got to happen this year. And you're second-guessing whether perhaps you should just be a checkout chick or something, hey? And when all this stuff weighs in and things go a bit pear-shaped, you begin to ask, is God even in this? I thought this is what God wanted me to do and now I'm not so sure. Can I encourage you? Think about Nehemiah. Think about the stuff that came against him. And he stood with the people and he built the people up. He strengthened them. And he encouraged them to stand. Remember the God we worship. This is a God whose storehouses can never be emptied. This is a God when you need something, you can come before him and ask him for it, and he will give it to you. He will bless you abundantly. But we're just too silly to ask. That's my experience anyway. You know, and, and I get frustrated. I get in these situations like, God, why, 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 why? God's like, why didn't you just ask for help? Why didn't you pray to me? And if I had it, he would have helped me. He would have provided what I needed. And that's what God wants to do for you. Perhaps you're these people that are coming up against some opposition. Some of your friends just think you're crazy because you want to worship Jesus and you talk about him. And so you just, again, you're just feeling pressured. You're feeling pushed down. Can I encourage you? Stand firm. Stand firm in the faith. Maybe... You've suffered like a few of my friends recently where you've known some spiritual giants, some close friends of yours who you always looked up to as being great Christian men and women. And suddenly you found out a few truths about them which just cuts you to the heart. And so these people aren't the people that you thought they were. In the midst of that, has God changed? Has God left you? Does God no longer love you? Does he no longer want to see the very best for you? Because I know he does. And even when things look really very difficult, God's in the midst of that. And he wants to encourage you. Remember what Nehemiah did. He sought his own counsel. And I know I've told you guys to journal. And when you hit those low times, I want you to flick back through your journal and see the incredible things that God has done. Because God has been with you. And he's done incredible work. God has been with SDBC. He's done incredible work here. And the best is yet to come. Amen. Good on you. The best is yet to come. And that is going to come so much quicker if we can stand together and say, well, we as a people are going to build up and encourage each other. Think about the people sitting beside you. They could be your friend. Do you know what's going on in their life right now? Perhaps tonight's the night you should ask. Perhaps tonight's the night you should just say, hey, how can I pray for you? And when they share that with you, it might be a simple thing where it's like, I'm doing a new subject this week and I really don't know how I'm going to get my head around that. Or I've got this assignment coming up, I don't know how that's going to happen. Or I've got this work happening, I don't know what's going to happen there. Or I've got this really deep personal problem. I actually don't even want to share it with you. But I, I don't know what to do. Perhaps that's what they'll say. Can I encourage you? Pray for them tonight. And then challenge yourself to pray for them throughout the week. We want to be building each other up in the faith. Stay in touch with them. I want to say to you, if you're that person who have those difficult problems, if you don't know what to do, be brave. Step out. Claim the promises that God has given you in his word. Be the man or woman of God that he wants you to be. Don't give in to the underlying current of negativity from friends, from your parents, 
from your own conscience, from church members, stand with God. Remember him. Remember his call. Remember his power. Remember his might. Remember who he is. In order for Nehemiah to complete the work that God had given him, given him he had to sacrifice much. He sacrificed his position. He sacrificed his time. He sacrificed a huge chunk of his personal finances. Are you willing to do the same? What is God calling you to do? And are you willing to sell it all just to serve him in that place at that time? If we want to see change, if we want to see SDBC becoming all God wants it to be, then we need to be determined to do all God is calling us to do. What are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to sacrifice yourself? That's what he calls us to. Putting to death your old self, all your rights, all your claims, all your wants. Here I am, Lord. Use me for your glory and purposes. Are you willing to serve unselfishly? Tonight's the night. Not tomorrow. Not next week. Not next month. What is God calling you to do here and now? Are you willing to stand and make that promise to God tonight? Twenty twenty is a new year. SDBC, SDBC has the potential to be much more than it presently is. I'm not saying we're bad, but each and every year we should challenge ourselves to be better than what we are right now. And I believe God can do that. He is changing hearts. And I'm just asking, let him change yours. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the power of your word and it continually amazes me, Lord, the challenges that come from that. And Lord, I, I just pray for us as a people, Lord, we get it wrong so often, I get it wrong so often. And Lord, I just, I just pray for a cleansing of hearts tonight. I pray, Lord, that each and every one of us will have a desire to draw closer to you, that we want to know you more. And that, Lord, each of us will be thinking about that first call you had on our life when we went from darkness to light, when we first gave ourselves to you, Lord. And we'll think back to that, Lord, and we'll realize that you have so much more in store for us. You have so much more planned for us. And, Lord, we just need to submit to you again. Soften our hearts, Lord. Let us hear your voice tonight. Let us not think about those around us. Let us think about you. What would you have us to do? And Lord, I pray that the pledges and promises that you're bringing to mind for some people here tonight, that they will make that pledge tonight, that they will stand for you, Lord, and that they'll come forward for prayer if that's what's required. And that, Lord, we can encourage them in their faith to grow closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen.